We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, welcome to the March 22nd edition of the Rotary NFL podcast brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. We have breaking news trades. We have hopefully trades to come in the case of the Packers and much more NFC North conversation to discuss. Let's get right to it. Again, welcome to the March 22nd edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast, the Wednesday edition brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. I'm Joe Bartle. Alongside me, as always, every Wednesday is Jim Coventry. We have stopped our uh, tour of divisions, at least we did last week, when we went the live free agency route. That was about as lackluster as the live trade deadline when uh, I got too excited to talk about Naheem Hines being traded to the Bills, but there's still a bit more action. Uh, I'm excited to now get to more of our division, what was essentially previews, now recaps of the offseason moves, of course, for the NFC North. That is the Bears who jumped in with a big splash on day one of uh, fake start of free agency, but really free or real free agency. We have the Packers still doing dumb Packer things. Can't wait for that as a Packers fan myself. The Lions burgeoning on a possible success, it seems like, according to some fans. And then the Vikings, um, yeah, you know, we'll shrug of the shoulders for the Vikings too. But before we do that, Jim, we have some breaking news. Moments before we hopped on for the podcast today, it was pushed out of my phone and everybody else's except yours, I guess, Jim. Elijah Moore <laughs> was traded to the Browns. The Browns will acquire Elijah Moore and a third round pick. The Jets get the Browns second round pick. So you're talking about maybe moving of a spot of uh, 20 to 30. I don't know what pick it is per se. Maybe there's some compensatory uh, shenanigans occurring in that third round pick status. But there you go. Elijah Moore, not a part of the Aaron yes. Rodgers package. Jim is excited. Uh, let's talk about this. What, what does this mean for Elijah Moore, who I know you're pretty high on? Yeah, so last year I was super excited to see Elijah Moore have his opportunity. In the rookie year, he had played with obviously poor quarterback play, multiple quarterbacks. And what happened was he started out really slow in his rookie season 2021. But down the stretch, he had scored touchdowns in four of his last five games. He had games with 67, 84, 141, and 77 yards. He was a player who was getting ready to take off. And then he got injured and missed weeks 14 through 18. To me, that made him a great 
buying opportunity last year because if he did that well with that bad a quarterback play certainly he could do at least the same as that stretch run well clearly that didn't happen and when we look at Elijah Moore, this is a guy that comes out running a 4-3-5-40 his agility scores and is either pro day or combine not sure which he did 91st percentile his explosiveness is just above average. But when you're running a lot of slot at 5'10", 178, for me, it's the agility and the speed and those two really get things cooking. And so now he goes into a situation. We have Amari Cooper on one side, Donovan Peoples-Jones on the other, David Njoku, got Nick Chubb in the backfield. Elijah Moore is going to have exceptional opportunity in the slot, Joe Bartle. Yeah, and I think that's a key point. Again, you mentioned uh, DPJ Donovan, Peoples-Jones on one side on the outside, Amari Cooper on the other side on the outside. It's a defined role for Elijah Moore, and probably the first time in his career that he's having that. Uh, you say what you want about Deshaun Watson, and we have in this platform plenty, but he is a better quarterback than Zach Wilson or Joe Flacco or Mike White. So um, I, I, this, is, this is a big win for Elijah Moore in that regard, and that he has guaranteed opportunities. Perhaps more importantly, Who's behind him on the depth chart? There's Anthony Schwartz, who they invested, I think, a third or fourth round pick a couple of years ago. Hasn't really panned out thus far. And that's kind of it. I mean, you're wondering, not you specifically, Jim, but people are wondering, how did the Browns improve their offensive tack? Of course, the cap space. We talked about the AFC North earlier. They don't have a lot of wiggle room for a lot of these different moves. They've improved the defensive line. This was a very cheap alternative and route to take for an asset that has been pretty depreciated by the uh, Zach Wilson lack of success in New York. And frankly, the signing of Alan Lazard, likely Randall Cobb, we'll talk about that a little bit later when it comes to the Packers. I mean, this was a pretty obvious move to make. And I think from the Jets' perspective, they moved up 32 spots. They got pick 42. I just went and looked. Pick 30, or they got pick 42, and they gave away pick 74. That might matter when it comes to the compensation for Aaron Rodgers. We'll see. But instead of giving yes. away Elijah Moore and something, you move it to pick 42, that could make a difference. So Elijah Moore being traded to the Cleveland Browns, uh, very interesting move. Probably one of the only noteworthy ones that's really thus occurred uh, Wednesday or since our last podcast Wednesday. Um, we'll talk about a few of those moves from the NFC North perspective. Jim, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. I am pretty clearly as a Packers fan how incestuous the NFC North is. Uh, we're going to talk about free agents left and right that have left an NFC North team and then joined another NFC North team. But I do want to give you the floor real quick if you have anything else for Elijah Moore. Yeah, so if I'm coaching the Browns, which I'm not, okay, but understanding Deshaun Watson, and we talked, I believe, two shows ago about Watson, and I mentioned that I believe his problems last year were, A, he wasn't probably in a great place from a mindset standpoint, but the one that was football related was the speed of the game. And I felt he was away so long. And when I watched him play, he seemed like a player that was not processing at NFL game speed. I think with another off season, he gets that back. Now back to Elijah Moore, four, three, five, 40. Like I said, if I'm running him out of the slot, remember those days when Will Fuller was running out of the slot, deep routes down the middle of the field. That is a sweet spot for Deshaun Watson. And they're going to weaponize Elijah Moore. Yes, we love what he can do in the slot from a regular slot basic route running perspective. But if you get him vertical out of that route, when you have corners and safeties worrying again, Amari Cooper primarily, other weapons like DPJ as well. 
Elijah Moore is going to catch a number of deep passes. He could have a very big season, even if he only sees 85 targets, Joe. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, I, we both missed this, but this also kind of breaking news too. So we had uh, Elijah Moore traded from the Jets to the Browns. Kind of, I thought, a domino for the Aaron Rodgers thing. A domino because they signed Mecole Hardman, who was who right around that same point as Elijah Moore. So Mecole Hardman and Alan Lazard joined Garrett Wilson in New York, likely Aaron Rodgers as well too. We don't know yet the stats for Randall Cobb, although I assume that is the case. They had cut Braxton Barrows as well. I mean, this is going to be a very deep receiving core for the Jets, but one that I don't know if it makes a you know, substantial. It's it's not an elite one. It's elite names, especially in the year 2022 when having three receivers is, is all vogue, right? Like, But it's Alan Lazard and it's Michael Harbin. Uh, Garrett Wilson's a stud. I have no issue with that. But I think Harbin plays on the outside. You're still giving the slot snaps to Garrett Wilson, but Harbin is your speed deep threat, kind of like MVS was back for Nathaniel Hackett of the Packers. So Hardman is a versatile player, and the Chiefs were starting to figure him out last year before he had an injury slope with that hip where he missed a lot of time. They were beginning to use him more on jet sweeps, on more bubble screens. They were finding a way to get the ball in his hands and utilize his speed. So I think that if they want to use some jet motion, he's a natural for that. As you said, he certainly can run a deep route. I think that's a very astute call on that. But I think Hardman may be best weaponized in that gadgety role because he's not a very refined route runner. And I think that's been some of the issue he's had. He just hasn't developed the crispness of routes that's needed to succeed at the NFL level. But the speed, as you say, is tangible. And when you're running deep routes, sometimes it isn't necessarily important how sharp your brakes are, especially when you may be the tertiary receiver, secondary receiver, it's it's something that benefits. So I like the way you frame that, Joe, but I think they may use him in a lot of different ways. And it's possible he still is a rotational player. Remember, you talk about Alan Lazard, and and people probably are sick of me saying this. He's a phenomenal blocker. And when you're designing plays in today's NFL with all the traffic with zones, you love it when you have a physical receiver who can block. A Lazard may not see more than 75 to 80 targets this year. He is not going to be a primary pass catcher, but he wasn't seeing a ton of targets with the Green Bay Packers either because right. they love him blocking. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess maybe we could still say this. I'm curious your thoughts, Jim, but I think still one of the, the most relevant and intelligent NFL offensive minds in Sean McVay was scheming plays with Ben Skronik in it for that exact purpose. And if Ben Skronik is getting plays with one of the smartest geniuses or in the NFL today, and maybe, again, you could you could maybe argue that Ben Skronik should not be, and therefore McVay is not. But if you are of that uh, mind like I am, then yes, blocking is super relevant still in today's NFL, and I think Alan Lazard has his purpose there. One real quick hitter as well, too, as we're getting breaking news, I guess, evidently today as opposed to last week. Austin Hooper signed a contract with the Raiders today. Uh, again, that matters because Darren Waller, Trade of the Giants. I don't think Foster Moreau has signed anywhere yet, or at least Correct. I have missed that if that's the Correct. case. So Austin Hooper, your main receiver, that matters less to me that you have Jacoby Myers and Hunter Renfro. I mean, like, it's not like you're spacing Austin Hooper outside very much. That would not make a difference to me. So that's that's a less relevant one, but certainly a, a name, uh, especially in the tight end market. I, I can only assume, uh, Jim, come August when we're uh, <laughs> knee deep in draft season, Austin Hooper is going to get mentioned far too many times in that, oh, tight end 
13 through 22 range that I might really want to have. And that's why I'm not going to take Travis Kelsey in round one. Uh, I'm going to put the pause on that now because I'm sure I'm going to make that mistake. Right now, Joe, March 22nd, don't make that choice because I think uh, Austin Hooper is kind of past the point where he's super relevant for NFL offenses. Well, I'm a little concerned for Austin Hooper because I've seen the medicine balls that Jimmy Garoppolo would throw to George Kittle and get him hurt by hanging him out in traffic, making him catch the ball behind his body, take ridiculous. There was a long-term injury Kittle had because Garoppolo hung him out. And so, man, Austin Hooper, at least he's a vested veteran of plenty of years, plenty of contracts behind him because, man, I'd be a little nervous playing in the middle of the field with Jimmy G, but that's just me. Yeah, you said uh, I'm a little consumer, con- concerned about Austin Hooper. I thought you said us at first. And I'm like, yes, I would be concerned well, about us too. too. Yes. Now we're discussing Austin Hooper at this stage of the offseason, but there you go. So NFC North, I promise we're going to get to it. Uh, I had already teased the incestual nature of the NFC North, but just going over the players that have or have not signed. So we have David Montgomery, formerly in the Bears, now in the Lions. You have Dean Lowry, formerly in the Packers, now in the Vikings. There are many of those names that have happened over the course of the NFC North's tenure, uh, and we'll discuss them here. I don't know why everyone decides they need to sign players from within. Of course, Zedaria Smith was with the Packers two years ago, signs with the Vikings, now he might get cut by the Vikings. It's it's a very interesting relationship the NFC North has. It's also an interesting uh, relationship the NFC North has with the standings in the NFL because, of course, the Vikings were 13-4 and last year, one of the top teams on record, but nobody yeah. actually believed that, of course, <laughs> lost to the Giants. Then you had the Packers, who had an easy walk-in playoff, according to everyone else who follows the NFL, lose the Lions because that's how they do things with the Packers and Wisconsin sports. Lions, 9-8, and eight, didn't make the playoffs. Sure, trending up if you watch Hard Knocks. And then the Bears, who have the number one pick, but then don't because they traded for the nine pick and actually make a smart move. And I think we have to start – probably with the bears, frankly, Jim, and, and, and I've, I'm turning the tables every single time with this. They might be the biggest makers right now in the FC North, at least in terms of what they have done this off season. Uh, we've talked about the signing, I'm sorry, the trade for DJ Moore again, traded number one pick got number nine, DJ Moore and additional pieces. Uh, the rumors post trade were essentially the bears would get another first rounder or they would get DJ Moore. So they're valuing DJ Moore in the first round. If that is the case. And I, I believe that to be true. That was a smart move on, on the part of Ryan Poles and the Bears. I was pretty adamant the Bears would not make a smart move. I was happy they got the number one pick because they wouldn't take advantage of it. I am sad now because this was a good choice by them. And I think DJ Moore adds a lot to their second, I'm sorry, to their receiving core. Uh, they have Tremont Edmonds, TJ Edwards, Nate Davis, all were signed on that first day of free agency. Both Edmonds and Edwards, pretty major deals, which I thought was head scratching because they traded right Roquan Smith, their star linebacker, fan favorite who also got a big deal from the Ravens. They signed DeMarcus Walker, defensive end a little bit later, and then did a little bit of bargain bin shopping at the running back position with Travis Homer and Deontay Foreman over the past couple of days. And the incestuous nature, once again, uh, Robert Tunyon goes to the Bears. He was from the Packers. Their only real loss was David Montgomery. The big move is that trade, that, that number one overall pick, adding DJ Moore. So you have Chase Claypool. You have DJ Moore. You have Darnell Mooney. On paper, that's the best receiving core the Bears have had in the past 20 years, I mean, you could make a case with Elshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall, right? I mean, that, that was right, a really right. good duo, but we have a trio of really good players. They have Velas Jones. They drafted the third round uh, erroneously. It was a bad choice, but draft pick wise, right? He's the number four receiver. That's not too bad. My question, Jim, is this actually that good of a receiving core? 
So DJ Moore is a le legitimate NFL number one receiver. He's an X receiver, which means he'll line up on the side away from the tight end. He'll take on that press coverage when needed. He can win, and he wins in many different ways. The thing I like best about his game is if you do get the ball in his hands on the middle of the field route, bubble screen. He is a running back with the ball in his hands. He is incredible in that area, but he is also an excellent downfield deep receiver who wins consistently. And Justin Fields, say what you will about his ability to throw the ball, but typically he does throw downfield very well. And with him being able to buy time or scramble, Having DJ Moore, I could see a number of big connections. Now, by the Bears bringing in a number one receiver, we are going to learn very quickly how we see Justin Fields as a passer. Yeah. This is what they needed. You cannot judge Justin Fields on last year. And he actually last lost Mooney after week 12 last year to an injury. But they didn't have any help in the beginning of the season first four weeks they weren't even running an NFL offense until they started to fix that a little bit and even then it was more of a more designed run offense with changes of equations so we didn't see hardly any 200 yard games from him yes DJ Moore changes and then as you mentioned now Darnell Mooney is an excellent receiver who has already proven that he is not just what many thought he would be, which would be a situational deep threat. He can win on all three levels of the field. And he, for being small, it doesn't matter. He knows how to get open, leverage defenses, and win. And now being cast as a number two behind a clear, as you say, number one alpha, that is going to allow him more beneficial coverage and both DJ Moore and Mooney, very fast receivers. Mm -hmm. This is going to stretch and press defenses, open space up in the middle of the field. Cole Komet's going to benefit. The screen game to whichever running back they're going to involve in that element of the game. But it also is going to allow Justin Fields, again, potentially more room when a play breaks down to take off because if they have deep speed, safeties are going to have to be confounded by are we worrying about Fields running or are we worried these guys could beat us downfield? And usually worrying about the downfield pass is much more important because you don't want to get beat with the ADR touchdown pass. Yeah, and, and Claypool too. Right? I mean, we talk about both uh, DJ Moore's speed and Darnell Mooney, and it's Claypool that's possibly the most destructive guy on the field, right? given his hulking frame and also running a, a 440. Like I, It's, it's going to be interesting. I uh, would have been happy if the Packers had acquired Claypool last year. I don't know about a second-round pick, especially as the season ended. I'm not convinced he is he's that guy though. And we are going to just include him like when you do when you see those PFF, look at these weapons of these players. It's going to be Khalil Herbert and Claypool and it's going to be Darnell Mooney and teacher. Is this the best uh, weapon group the Bears have ever had? It's like no PFS, stop shoving those graphics down our face. But this does look pretty promising on paper. My only concern is we need to see it execute. I'm glad the Bears committed to Justin Fields. I was convinced Justin Fields was the second or third best quarterback in that class. It was Trevor Lawrence. For me, it was Trey Lance, but I was never going to argue somebody saying Justin Fields was number two. I had so many people that first preseason, those first three games of his NFL career that weren't actually real saying, Fields can't rate a defense. Look at how he's not staying in the pocket. And then, like he's playing with guys that, at least in the offensive line, Ohio State might have been better just overall, right. much less the Bears. 
they haven't improved the offensive line significantly. In fact, I think that's where they do end up going uh, at number nine, or they could even trade up further if they want to. Uh, maybe they add even more running back depth at some point as well, because while we liked Cleo Herbert, and we talked about him a lot last Wednesday, uh, Cleo Herbert, Deonta Foreman, and Travis Homer, it's like, okay, maybe maybe you want a guy if you don't believe Khalil Herbert's the guy. So there's a lot of things you can do offensively draft capital wise, but I think offensive line matters most. But if Justin Fields is going to have happy feet in the pocket when he's passing, you can be one dimensional defensively and, and kind of make fields think he needs to run. And then you shut things down. We saw towards the latter half of the season after they, the bears decided Justin Fields actually was Cam Newton, that those types of runs that he was consistently getting did end up putting him in harm's way. And while the bears probably were taking it a little bit and, and playing slow playing fields as health, knowing what they saw this season and where they were record wise, I'm a bit concerned that they run that same game plan back. We're not getting a full season of Justin Fields. Correct. Uh, it, maintaining itself is obviously paramount, managing that, teaching him in the preseason how to close out runs, not taking yeah. the extra hit. The, these are things that get coached up, and many quarterbacks who are mobile learn and can understand this. There are a few who are reckless and it's not going to get out of their system. That is not so common. And I think Fields will understand the importance of getting down and knowing when a play is over and just not taking the big hit, living to carry on another set of downs, another game, another week. So this is going to be important for them. You mentioned the running backs, and it's a good committee they have. Khalil yeah. Herbert was 90th percentile in broken tackle rate, 90th percentile yards after contact. They didn't give him many carries. 129 carries, 12 games. It was about you know, 12, 13 carries a game. And so they are probably bringing in Deontay Foreman because I don't think they see Herbert, even though he's 212 pounds, they don't see him as the full workhorse back. So bringing in Foreman, it goes over 230 pounds, and he is a very good running back, even though he had the Achilles a few years back. Mm -hmm. We saw him last year. Like He had like 400-yard games, and he was in the committee, and yet he was putting up big yardage, and that offensive line was emerging in Carolina, as is the Bears had good run blocking last year. Their pass blocking may have been terrible. Their run blocking was graded near the top of the yes. league for most of the year. And so this is a good one-two punch. And honestly, at this point, Foreman may actually see more carries than Herbert because he's going to be the more durable guy. Now, as to how they see Herbert as a receiver is going to be really important. David Montgomery was the primary receiver. Herbert only saw 12 targets. Now, five of those came in the last three games, so maybe a little bit of hope. But they're going to have to define how they see him in that part of the game. Because if Herbert is not used as a receiver, is it going to be Tristan Ebner? Is it going to be Travis Homer? Right. Brought right. in and he's a receiving back. That would be scary for Herbert's fancy value. But, I, I mean, from what, the little I've seen him in the receiving game, I have to think they're going to see him as rotational on early downs. But he's going to have to be their third down back. He's He'd be so tipping explosive. off defenses. That's a, yes. that's the problem. Like if you if you bring out Tristan Ebner or Travis Homer, no matter how talented they might be, you're you're going to know what the offense wants to do yes. when that when that tip already comes out. So I, I liked the signing of Deonta Foreman. He's he's been one of my favorite um, cheap running backs for a while. But like guys, that's actually productive. And we all kind of forget about until he goes runs for 100 yards and gets a starting opportunity, or whatever, uh, based off an of injury. We saw it in Carolina. We saw it in Tennessee as well too. I was surprised the Panthers chose Chuba Hubbard as their receiving guy over Foreman. And, and if it is that Foreman gets more of the carries, 
I think they would be better off having Foreman be their receiving, like, like that David Montgomery, and don't change anything with Khalil Herbert, which might make Khalil Herbert just as effective. And I, I think it's important. But if, if he's not involved in the passing game and Deonta Foreman is not either, there's, there's a very clear and weak, obvious link for that offense. And I, I'm not sure it's quite solved. So when I said they might add somebody uh, via draft, that was kind of my thought process. Although I did forget about Tristan Ebner, who they did invest a draft pick in last year too. It's a deep running back room. I think that's a very fair statement. You know, one last thing. Foreman is going to benefit from the mobile quarterback fields. You hear me talk about this all the time. When you have a quarterback who scares defenses with his legs, as soon as he begins to move, the linebackers have to freeze because they have to figure out what's going to happen. They just can't react because fields in the RPO world can see them overreact to the run, now pass the ball or go to the running back. And so it creates indecision in the linebackers. The biggest beneficiaries of this are the running backs. This goes back to Robert Griffin III in 2012 when we had Alfred Morris have that amazing mm. season. And um, I know Matt Kelly at Player Profiler calls it um, – is it the, the Robert Griffin corollary or Alfred Morris corollary? And it was yeah, yeah. basically that mobile quarterback turning a running back into a game breaker of sorts. And that'll be Foreman. And the game breaker, not meaning they're not running for 70 yard touchdowns, but instead of three yard runs, they're running for six, seven, eight yards because they have that indecision of the linebackers. Foreman and Herbert will benefit, but Foreman with that powerful running style, I can't wait to see that. I'm I'm like cautiously excited as a as a Justin Fields supporter. I know I shouldn't say this as a Bears fan, but I am. I, I like Justin Fields as a player. I want him to be successful. The Bears have committed to making him successful. I thought it was malpractice last year oh. what they chose to trot oh. Justin Fields out, and he succeeded despite that. So when Bears fans are optimistic and excited about their future, they should be because Fields did everything he could to be as good as he could despite the situations really going against him. That wasn't the case. Now, missing out on Mike McGlinchey in free agency I thought was a really big loss. If you remember, Mike McGlinchey was rumored to be leaving the 49ers, signing a big deal with the uh, Bears, spurned that one, ended up going, I think, to Denver – that's a pretty significant loss and replacing them only with Nate Davis. They play different positions. They didn't replace him. But when you're talking about a free agent offensive line signing, that's a pretty big downgrade that now presents a bit of an issue because they still need, I think at least some offensive line. You have Lucas Patrick, Braxton Jones, they drafted pretty high last year and Larry Baram, who was a fifth round pick last year. That's going to more or less uh, factor in for those last two spots. You, you might want a better tackle than that. But you also need some pass rushers because they went all in with Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards. They want to get the, the, the Midwest uh, Bears defense back in tow and have that middle linebacking core that's fearsome, even though I'm not sure if it's those two guys. But that's fine. And they drafted significantly young of the secondary that probably should improve over time. But if you need pass rusher and you need probably a tackle or some offensive line and you only have number nine, you're not solving both of those, not with a high draft premium kind of thing. So do you feel like the Bears will go offensive line with that first-round pick, or is it going to be a pass rusher? So I think they have to go offensive line. If they're going all in to see what Justin mm -hmm. Fields can do, I don't think you want to water it down. I think you don't want to say, all right, we'll do a little bit of this in offense, a little bit of this in defense. I think you play in a league, and this sounds stupid. Obviously, you got to score more points to win, but it's an offense-driven league. So it's 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 – racing the scoreboard it's getting to that 27 point barrier and by loading your offense up to see if they could do that teams get by with poor defenses all the time but very few teams get by with 
middling offenses. And so right. I think they need to go with the tackle there. They need to invest. And honestly, the McGlinchey miss, he's a very good run blocker. He's not good in pass protection. He has a real skinny lower body. His frame, he kind of gets pushed off balance by, by um, strong pass rushers. So this may have worked out for them. If, if they could get um, a draft pick, a tackle that maybe has a more solid base, they may end up actually being better off for it. Now, like you said, you'd love to get the free agent and the draft pick. Now you got two players. So I see where you're going with that. It makes perfect sense. But um, I think they'll be okay here. Defense, though, you know, they've got enough. They may have enough to scrape by. They've got a couple corners. Jalen Johnson, you know, he's he's got a little help. Now, Kyler Gordon had growing pains last year. Mm-hmm. He may be good. We see these corners emerge. They they have blocks. You know, they have, say, Brisker played well at safety last year. Eddie Jackson in the new scheme has been good. So they do have a secondary. Yeah, you're right. The pass rush is not going to be good. But if you could cover, it's usually it's one or the other. If you could cover or if you can't pass, rush the passer. Now, I, I'm not saying the Bears are going to be a great coverage unit because they're really an unknown commodity, but there's potential. Yeah, and um, Matt Eberflus, head coach for the Bears, was the defensive coordinator for the Colts. They had to force Buckner, but a lot of spare parts otherwise, which is kind of what it feels like uh, the defensive line would be for the Bears outside of not having to force Buckner, but there's a few of those in the NFL. I, I really think I think they go pass rusher. Even though I agree with you, I would just commit fully to this idea of the build around fields and get a tackle. I think at number nine, you can get that DeForest Buckner level pass rusher and feel very comfortable. I think that's why they did trade down to where they did with the Panthers. I don't know if it's uh, a guy that might be in legal trouble or somebody else may fall down to that point. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they do really get that premier pass rusher via the draft, or at least what they think so. Uh, way more time than I would have thought spending on the Bears. I, I feel gross about it, but they had they had a pretty good start to the offseason. And as much as I hated uh, that they were successful trading out of that number one pick, they did a very good job with it. And I think it's uh, worth pointing out. We're going to get to a team that was not successful. My Packers, in a bit, I want to get a word from our sponsors here first. The 2022 NFL season is over, but fantasy football season never stops at Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy football. Right now, you can draft an Underdog's The Big Board Tournament with $1 million in total prizes and 200000 given to first place. Think you know which incoming rookies will burst on the scene in 2023? Well, if so, your chance is to draft them now at value. All you have to do is join The Big Board, draft your fantasy team, and that's it. In best ball, there's no waivers, no trades. And you get the best scores in your starting lineup each week of the season. And whoever has the highest scores at the end of the season wins. Just head to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or Google Play Store. Sign up with promo code RWNFL. And not only will you get your first deposit match, uh, d- I'm sorry, doubled up to $100, we'll also hook you up with a free six-month subscription to everything RotoWire has to offer for free. Jim, baseball season, right? I mean, that's that's what we're talking about when it comes to uh, RotoWire overall. We are in the throngs of baseball season at the moment. Yeah, we certainly are. And you'll hear me say this every week. And especially now, March, you know, we're in later part of March. We know baseball is right around the corner. So if you are still looking for a service, you're looking to get set up for a draft, you've got to give Rotowire's baseball team a shot. Not because I work for them, but we really have the best baseball team on the planet. You need to get, go into that trial. Like Joe always tells you, rotowire.com slash pod. It's on the bottom of the screen if you're watching us live. But definitely go get the trial, see what we're about, and I know you're going to want to sign up because this coverage we have is incredibly good. Yeah, Underdog Fantasy, you can go there. Uh, promo code RWNFL gets you that same thing, uh, doubles up to $100 match, and then you get that free six-month subscription as That's well right. too. So That's right. check out underdogfantasy.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Jim, it's my Packers. Uh, I, I truly believe that uh, if I get cut, there will be some red, but if, but there will be green and gold. That eventually comes out. As much as I love the Buck success, it was wonderful. Giannis is one of my favorite athletes of all time, certainly Wisconsin sports, because most of my other ones are uh, lunatics or uh, embezzlers. Uh, so it's, it's hard, uh, but we are at a very difficult spot. And every offseason, to be mm. fair, for the Packers is difficult because there is no franchise in the NFL that likes to just not do anything more than the Packers during the offseason. But when I say not doing anything at all, <laughs> I truly mean not doing anything. This is the Packers offseason to date. They re-signed kick returner Keyshawn Nixon, one year, $6 million. Love that. Very excited about that. Mm-hmm. They re-signed Rudy Ford, talented enough death safety. Death safety. Uh, they got another special team safety from the Raiders. Hopefully he can do Keyshawn Nixon things as well too, although it doesn't sound like he's doing any more than special teams. That is it. There's crickets if you hear that. that that's, that's the Packers offseason to date. What have they lost, Joe? Oh, uh, everything. Gerard Reed going to the Seahawks. Dean Lowry to the Vikings. Alan Lazard to the Jets. Randall Cobb, I put in parentheses of Jets, too, because he's going to go there. Robert Tunyon uh, to the Bears. Aaron Rodgers good to the Jets as well, too. I, those names, Lowry, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, you can throw them. Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tunyon, they're, they're not substantial names, but they are depth pieces. I think the biggest loss actually probably was Jerron Reed, who they signed last year at a minimum point. And that that is kind of the crux of the issue with the Packers, that – they're going to find the Jerron Reeds or even the Charles Woodson and Julius Peppers, if you date back a little bit further, in waves two and three of free agency. But currently, the Packers have $24 million in, in cap space. They have restructured everything to get to a point where they could make moves. They don't, but they could. Uh, and I think it's all because of this waiting game they're playing with Aaron Rodgers. So this becomes the issue for the Green Bay uh, front office. And I think, quite frankly, they're sparing themselves from just vitriol completely from the fan base because even if Rodgers and his $50 million cap hit were somehow off the books, they would still do the same thing, Jim. They never make these big moves. You can talk to me about Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith and that signing. That was really cool. It's a what have you done for me lately league and Gutekunst and the rest of the general manager and the front office for the Packers have done nothing in off seasons to date. So am I surprised? No. Am I very angry? Yes, as you can tell. Make me feel better, Jim. Is there any positive things I should be taking away from this offseason for the Packers? Well, the only thing that we can really look at is we're going to have a a fresh slate. 
and we're going to see what Jordan Love can do, and we're going to see if Christian Watson is more than just a deep threat, which he may well be, and Romeo Dobbs had a season where he was able to learn a little bit. He needed, he had a little bit of a learning curve, and Aaron Jones is still 28, so he should have another year or so of top production. So if Jordan Love can settle in, and they spent a first-round pick on him, and if he proves to be the guy that they drafted, this offense could be fun to watch. And it may be a lot different than what we've seen with Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, you know, Rodgers was good at certain things. Jordan Love maybe brings a different element. Maybe the coaching staff decides, you know, we're going to approach our offense a bit differently with Jordan Love. So I think there's reason for excitement. And, you know, defensively, they still can cover. And there's something to be said for that. I always say that. I mean, I've I, I said with the Bears, when you're talking about teams and defenses today, you either have to be able to rush or you have to be able to cover. If you can do both, that's great. Most teams can't, but they can cover. And so if Jordan Love comes out and plays well, there's weapons. It could be fun. Yeah, uh, the part that I picked up a lot there was maybe, uh, Jim, the breakdown of that maybe, maybe, maybe. And that is my biggest concern. Um, historically, have we ever seen a situation where a team goes from one Hall of Fame quarterback to the other? Once before, right? Montana to Steve Young and now twice with Favre to Rodgers. Have we ever seen a situation where we went Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame? No, uh, we have not. And there's a reason because it's really hard to draft Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I trust the front office to know what they're looking for when it comes to a good quarterback. So when they took Jordan Love back in 2020, I was supportive of the idea. It was also the assumption that Aaron Rodgers was going to fall off and not be a two-time MVP winner in the consecutive years. If the plan was to move Aaron Rodgers, they lost it last season. And I said it last season, and it becomes even more obvious today. When we have Aaron Rodgers on the brink, whenever that's going to occur, being traded to the Jets for minimal compensation relative to what they probably could have got for the Broncos or anybody else who was in the need of a veteran quarterback. If that was the goal, if the plan was, if, if we're talking about how great it was that they, they structured the contract that this massive cap hit won't occur to the start of the training camp, which is like the news the Packers beat writers are spinning right now, then you already lost because the plan was already in place to get rid of Rodgers in the first place, and you should have done it when his value was the highest. Take the leap, and now you fell down the cliff because he didn't jump. We're just, we tripped him. We're like, oh, no, we can't stop. I, I'm frustrated with that move. Um, I agree with you that I think Jordan Love, it, it's going to be okay. I don't know where he lies from a quarterback perspective. I don't know anybody. Nobody does. Knows. The front office yeah. seems very confident. Are they confident because they're trying to spite Rodgers or uh, keep security in their jobs? Probably. The players that have seen him practice a lot over the past two years, because Rodgers really hasn't, also are confident. Are they doing that because they're being good teammates? Yeah, probably. I mean, there's very easy ways to write this off as to why there is so much confidence in Jordan Love. But the fact remains that this is being widely reported everywhere that Jordan Love has taken a substantial leap to some extent or purpose. The other part that I think is really key, and you mentioned, this Packers offense might look a lot different. And yes, they're missing Alan Lazard and Ronald Cobb and Lewis and Tunyon. But it's going to look different because it's, it's not Aaron Rodgers. It's Matt LaFleur's offense. I mean, this is sink or swim for him. If the Packers do poorly, if the offense looks bad, he will not be the head coach of the Packers next year, no matter how much success he had. Because no longer does he get the excuse that Aaron Rodgers is, is running, calling off runs or something like that. This is handing the ball off. This is making the choices. This is Lafleur calling the place. The season, in my mind, was over January 9th when the Packers announced they were bringing back Joe Barry as the defense coordinator. I didn't care if Aaron Rodgers was gone or not gone because it wouldn't matter. 
Joe Barry is one of the worst defensive corners there is and was proven bad all of last season. We retained him, just like we retained the special teams coordinator who screwed the Packers over in the 49ers when they got the blocked punt two years ago. This is a reoccurring problem with Matt LaFleur, and it will continue to be a reoccurring problem. And if he flames out as an offensive coordinator calling plays with a new quarterback, there is no reason to hold on to him anymore. No matter how much you like him, I think he's a good leader, things like that. It's the same issue with Mike McCarthy when he had Dom Capers on far too long. So I I have had zero optimism. Uh, I didn't anticipate anything good happening this offseason. Definitely didn't have a lot of good things happen this offseason, and I am not nearly as positive. Those maybes that you mentioned with that offense don't matter to me when we have Joe Barry as the defensive coordinator and a guy like Jordan Love, who I think anywhere you could say optimistically is quarterback 15 through 30 in the NFL right now. It's it's going to be different. It's going to look different. The one other question I had, because I had to go on my rants, that felt very good. Thank you, Jim, for letting me do that. <laughs> How do you feel about Aaron Jones's fantasy value this year? Because we kind of have this weird spot where there's uh, an ups, uh, an, like a, a well, uh, up well, I'm not sure what I'm, what I'm using, but a, a rise in kind of like the Kenneth Walker level running backs. Younger players haven't done a lot, but we're really good in short stints in good situations now, rising up in that draft capital spot. And then there's that falling tier of veterans uh, and I think Aaron Jones definitely qualifies for that too. I mean, it's possible Aaron Jones gets used a lot. They still have A.J. Dillon. There shouldn't be anything that changes significantly, but there's that playing time factor for Aaron Jones. It's been an issue his entire career, and I think has capped what could be super monster fantasy numbers. You know, Aaron Jones was dealing with some nagging injuries down the stretch last year, but he had cemented himself as the lead role in that backfield, which I was glad to see that coming because it was pretty much a pretty even time split in 2021. But we saw Aaron Jones with 1,516 scrimmage yards. He had career highs with 72 targets, 59 catches. His carry total was very high too, which led him to a career high with 1,120 rushing yards. It was 213 carries, the most he had in three years. So his volume was very good. And it would, again, as I said earlier, would have been a bit higher. There were a couple of games where he lost snaps due to injury in game. And so I don't think the Packers could go away from him. And I think they realized last year, it was nice when the offense was humming along and doing great to get both running backs involved, but Aaron Jones was their best player and he is their best player and they need to use him that way. And he's not going to get younger and his time is running out and the Packers need to utilize him because the fall off is coming. It's coming not this year, but soon. Whether they spot his carries or not, it's coming. And so this is their opportunity to build him as the engine of the offense. He is a legitimate three-down back. And, yes, it's the NFL. You're going to have a second runner in there. Dylan is going to get eight to ten touches, and that's fine. But as long as Aaron Jones is getting 15 to 19 between a runner and a receiver, he's an elite player. He runs for almost 5.3 or more yards almost every year. That's close to where he's at. And we saw his receiving yardage down, but that had to do with the offense. And I think that that could get tweaked out a bit. So I'm excited about Aaron Jones. And I, in the early drafts I'm doing, he's getting undervalued. I, I got him in the, the three, four turn. Okay. Yeah. I got in one, in a, in a best ball league. I'll take I, him every time. Every I, I don't know time. if you've seen the reports, but um, Jordan Love is reportedly working with Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs and Aaron Jones at wherever his uh, locale is that he's, that he's working with Aaron Jones, I think matters because if you're saying Aaron Jones is just going to be a runner and and a really good runner, but get involved more running far more than passing. That's that offense is doomed. And I, I think Matt LaFleur is uh, 
he's a lot of things, but I don't think he's dumb. So I, I would assume he is going to get Aaron Jones more involved as a receiver. I would have thought that happened in years past too, so that it hasn't. You know, maybe that's the issue. He's Matt Lafleur is very loyal, but I don't think he's dumb. So I, I believe Aaron Jones is going to get more receiving work, and that he is getting rapport with um, Aaron uh, Jordan Love matters a lot to me. And yeah, I will I will dive into that. Well, again, he burned me in the NFFC. Uh, he was one of my two running backs along with uh, Najee Harris, which was great. You can guess how well I did based off those two. But yeah, I, I, I like Aaron Jones in that sense, and I will be happy to take him in the three four turn, like you mentioned. All right. Done with the Packers rant. We can uh, discuss them no longer, at least until the Aaron Rodgers trade happens. Let's talk about a team that actually is rising, uh, and that is the Detroit Lions, who finished 9-8 last year, of course, beat the Packers in Lambeau, uh, ruined Packers fans' hearts that were at the game like me. Um, the The Lions still have about $20 million in cap space yet left, and yet they have signed Cameron Sutton, Emmanuel Mosley, David Montgomery, Graham Glasgow, and C.J. Gardner-Johnson this past week uh, as well, quality safety. So improving that secondary, which was already really young and kind of banged up, you have Kirby Joseph, who's been um, at least a good interception machine thus far early in his career. They did lose to Sean Elliott, you know, not not a capable starter more or less, but did get playing time. Uh, Jamal Williams went to the Saints, Chris Board, a linebacker that, you know, whatever, uh, and Mike Hughes. But I think they really made some good improvements. And more importantly, were they, they had targeted cheap assets at, in the secondary in a place they need to improve and now give themselves flexibility with that number 18 pick to do whatever they really want to do in the draft. You know, the Lions are in a good spot here. And I really do like the moves they made in getting those corners. Emmanuel Mosley, the last couple of years, has been above average in coverage. And they got him for $6 million yeah. on a one-year deal. I think that was great. And that's weird, right? Like, were you surprised by that number? Like, wow, that's a good signing. I was. For a cornerback, yes. Um, you know, I, I think there's some narrative out on him that – maybe he's worse than he is. I, I don't see it. He has been an above average cover corner three of the last four years. And then we go over to Cam Sutton, who got significantly more. He got like 11 million a year on average, three years, 33 million. And when we look at him. He is a little bit down in coverage in 2021. I don't know if he was playing at less than a hundred percent, but he's another one. He has been above average in his coverage ability, 2019, 2020, and last year again. So they walk in now with good coverage and now last year they drafted Aiden Hutchinson. They're hoping to put together a pass rush anchored by him. They could have coverage. They could have the potential for some pass rush improvement, maybe adding that in the draft possibly, hopefully. But offensively, I, I like where they're going as well. But the, the additions were very nice. I won't go further because I know you have a follow-up question, but um, the moves are definitely going to make them more competitive by defense because they were hemorrhaging points in the first half of the year. They got better in the second half, but they needed a talent infusion in the back end, and they got it. Yeah, I was going to say, whereas my season as a Packers fan ended January 9th with the retention of Joe Barry, the line season really began with the retention of Ben Johnson, their offensive coordinator, yeah. January 19th, when surprisingly he didn't get a head coaching job and will remain the offensive coordinator for the Lions for another season. I mean, with all the talent or lack thereof the Lions had, they had a pretty darn good offense, certainly every game that they were home, but really throughout much of that season, Jared Goff did things that I think most of us were not anticipating whatsoever. Now you get a fully healthy Jamison Williams back. The running back uh, depth chart on paper looks better with David Montgomery over Jamal Williams. We'll talk about that in a second as well, too. Uh, DJ Chark is still unsigned, which I think actually is uh, interesting. I would be I would be happy to jump on him if I was an NFL team, but whatever. Um, this should be a good offense with Ben Johnson again. 
And yet I'm, I'm a little bit worried. And I think it's largely because of Jared Goff. So I, how confident are you with the moves the Lions have made this offseason that their offense will retain much of the same look that they did last year? I am, Ben Johnson did a great job. He did a great job in utilizing his personnel. I still don't like the fact they don't use DeAndre Swift enough, but they're probably worried he can't stay healthy. We could deal with that in a minute. Jared Goff was interesting. His numbers were good. 29 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, solid. 23 of those 29 touchdowns came at home. On the road, mm-hmm. 6 touchdowns, 4 interceptions. And one of those, it was a garbage time game late in the season, and I believe it were 2 or 3 of those touchdowns in that game. He was not good at all on the road. And that those indicators, in some ways, he played some of his best football in 4 years at home. And He's that kind of guy who could regress. He's not a guy I see on the upswing in any way. We know who he is. And so I am a little concerned that if they go in with him, the team could take a hit if he doesn't have that same like home magic he had last year. If he loses any modicum of that, they're in trouble. And the Montgomery addition was really interesting. And there's what I say. He played them twice a year. And I wonder if the Lions, and I know every running back did well against them, were like, man, this guy is just awesome. We watch him every year. He runs all over us. Well, it's you. It's not him. Montgomery's not that good. He does. He breaks tackles, but he goes nowhere with it. He breaks tackles. I would say the 84th. Here we go. Trying to get the percentile here. So his percentile of broken tackles, 84th, like I said, 84th yeah. percent of broken. And he only gets 50th percentile yards after contact. So he shakes guys, but he goes nowhere after it. And so that's the problem. He's elusive just like he was in college, but he has no burst. And so he's a better receiver. He's 71st percentile yards after the catch as a receiver, but that's DeAndre Swift's realm. So Montgomery would be best as the receiving back splitting early down carries. But how do you not make DeAndre Swift your receiving back? And they did last year. It was mostly they were getting him out of the running game and they were still seeing him as a receiver. So I think they have, they're believe me, these two guys are not the same player, but there's their usage preferences are redundant and that worries me it's almost it's almost funny because if the bears had just retained david montgomery and the lions had signed deonta foreman who the bears did sign that would make more sense right because you have still swift be receiving back and cheap wise it would make sense because the lions not that they're really hurting cap wise but are in a more of a bind than the bears who entered the offseason with the most cap space in the nfl Uh, i understand wanting to move past david montgomery give Khalil Herbert a little bit more room. I like what they did with their running back depth chart more than what the Lions are doing here. Um, it's just curious. There is something to say about not really tipping your hand, not that they were doing that with DeAndre Swift anyway, but that both guys can run and catch. Yes. I, I, that, that is valuable, you know, as, as much as I think $6 million per year when Jamal Williams, who just came off a, a record-breaking season or close to it, uh, got less than that to join the Saints. It's interesting, um, if nothing else. So I, I don't... I am worried about Jared Goff, much like you are. Uh, they're still going to play at minimum eight games at home. I you know with the seventeen game season, right, right, right. Nine or eight. So as much as I'm concerned about Jared Goff and what happens if he plays outside, well, Joe, he's going to play outside for, or inside the other half of the games, and that's not even including some of those away games being dome ones too. You know, it, it, I think the Ben Johnson thing matters. I, I really believe in Jamison Williams. We didn't believe in touch on as well too. Uh, I know that they curiously made him a special teamer his, his first active game in the NFL, but like. If, if you as an NFL franchise are choosing to do that with your top pick 
and then he earns his playing time. That gave me the Justin Jefferson, Mike Zimmer vibes when uh, Zimmer had Jefferson below, I don't know, Chad Beebe, whatever it was. And by week three, he's like, okay, no, actually Jefferson's just that good. This is a stupid game we're playing. I really feel confident that Jamison Williams fits that same mold too. Uh, It's whether or not Jared Goff can take advantage. So it leads me to this next question. My last question for the Lions, what is the area of need for the Lions? I mean, they have pick 18. They're in a spot where they can move up. We saw the Saints in a similar uh, area do that with Chris Olave last year. The Lions did it last year by trading up for Jamison Williams uh, as well, too. Like, do you, or, or do they stay pat, take a, a Michael Mayer as a tight end or somebody else? Of course, no TJ Hawkinson. They never really replaced that yet with any of the veterans. Um, what, what avenue do you see the Lions really improving this team with the draft pick? It is a deep tight end class, so I could see them taking one in the third round and maybe getting a steal there. I think pass rush. I think they still need to do more defensively. The corners they added are nice corners. They're not shutdown corners. They're very good, but they're they're just they're good. And you need somebody with Hutchinson to bring up that pass rush. The offensive line is still good. The, it's it's it was very very good a couple of years ago they're still good so they are fine there if you're looking at receiver and i don't know i'm putting an early pick but maybe i think you need that that classic x receiver on this team jameson williams is your speed z receiver mm-hmm. and his speed is breathtaking and i know he only had one catch of the season but he had a couple call back on penalty he was on the field for maybe 37 snaps his Speed is unreal. When I saw him just running out there, he was just leaving people in his dust. And again, these weren't turned into stats, but on the film, his speed is very real and very difference making. But if they get themselves a physical extra, they got the great power slot and I'm around St. Brown, but I really think if you want to get this offense, like fully functioning, giving golf, all the weapons, because ultimately golf, is who he is. But if you even build up his weapons yeah. further, now you actually raise his floor a little bit that way. And so if you bring in a big, strong X receiver, that would be good for them. What you just described was Quentin Johnston to me. Yes. Uh, the TCU receiver who yes. uh, many are projecting the Packers take at 15. Could we see another situation where a team trades above the Packers for a receiver? We'll, we'll find out. Yes, is the answer. I'm sure. Uh, we have gotten to 50 minutes and yet somehow have not talked about the 13 and four NFC North champions, the Minnesota Vikings. That's for a reason. Uh, they are not having as disappointing and as dreary of an off season as the Packers. Cause nobody can uh, the Packers, are the Packers, thank goodness. But the Vikings have not had a good one. Uh, released Eric Kendricks released Adam Thielen. Thielen sends the Panthers for a, Big deal, a bad deal, but a big deal. Uh, They did sign uh, Garrett Bradbury back. They re-signed Alexander Madison. They released Harrison Smith. Smith uh, wandered around frequency. He was like, wait, no one's paying for a 36-year-old safety? Yeah, okay, I'll come back to Minnesota. All right, great. They did get Byron Murphy. I thought it was a really good signing. Marcus Davenport, Dean Lowry, good depth pass rushers. Just erroneously decided to give $7 million to Josh Oliver for whatever reason. Good job there. Uh, Lost Patrick Peterson. Lost Delvin Tomlinson. Lost Cam Dantzler, uh, who they just kind of cut, might have to cut more. I don't know if you're aware of their cap situation, Jim, but as we were doing these podcasts earlier, I think we pretty quickly identified there's not going to be these Christian Kirk-level deals because teams just don't have a lot of money. Right. The Vikings still don't have a lot of money. I think they're just a million under – sorry, a million over the cap currently. 
So is CJ Ham at 3.5 million? I would have to imagine will get cut at some point. There has been long rumors about Zadari Smith getting released or having his contract reworked. Delvin Cook has been rumored to the Dolphins, and the Dolphins brought back both Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert. So maybe they just have to cut Delvin Cook, but then he did the I'm back uh, Instagram post. I have no idea what's happening. They're in a very tough cap spot, and they also seem committed to not extending Kirk Cousins, who would open up a bit more freedom in that regard. So it felt like the Vikings were pretenders all season last year, despite the record, and then lost to the Giants. I just outlined their whole offseason whole off to you, Jim. How are you feeling about the Vikings now? Well, I am worried other than Justin Jefferson about the receiving room. I yes. mean, P.J. Hawkins is kind of their de facto number two. But we saw at the Packers down the stretch, it took out Justin Jefferson. And we saw in the playoff game, the horrible Giants defense took out Justin Jefferson. Now, good offensive coaches can you get your alpha superstar receiver. You figure out ways to get him open. But defenses are not going to respect any other wide receiver on that team. Adam Thielen had lost it, and I can't believe he got three years. And, well, that's another story for another day. Wow, he's at the – you know, unfortunately, I don't think he even separated. Somehow a, a, somehow a, uh, a worse contract, I should say, than Josh Oliver, which I didn't think was possible to continue. Yes. And so now KJ Osborne, you know, he's a fine receiver, but defenses are going to be throwing the kitchen sink at Justin Jefferson. Delvin Cook clearly lost a step last year. Yeah. He had that long run against Indianapolis. I get it. And he had a couple, but otherwise career low 4.4 yards per carry. Yet this is one of the best run blocking offensive lines he had been behind his entire career. And we saw in the second half of the season, in the first part of the season, he had six games between 90 and 119 rushing yards through week 10. He only had two games over 72 yards in the last nine, including the playoffs. And so as the season went on, that's what we see some of players are, you know, he's going to be 28, but he's, you know, had some usage on him. And that's what we see. We see the end of the season. They start to slow down. It's an indicator of things to come. So I'm a little bit concerned. So, yeah, I'm very worried about this offense. Kirk Cousins, you never know what you're getting week to week. Sometimes you get those 303 touchdowns, and then you had a three implosion games last year. Yeah. And it's it's a very problematic offense right now. Um, I, I agree with you on every on every level. Devlin Cook thing, if they were to have gotten any draft compensation for him over the past couple of weeks, I think they would have taken that deal. That that solves a lot of issues. Alexander Madison might not be as good as Delvin Cook, but certainly a lot cheaper. We've seen the Bears uh, put together cheaper running back cores, and it's not like we're reliant to the Packers and Aaron Jones to do a lot of other facets for the offense. Delvin Cook can and has, but that's not what the Vikings offense is built on or predicated on. Uh, I think they could have went that route. I, I don't think there is a market for Delvin Cook, just in the same way there isn't a market for Kareem Hunt uh, or Ezekiel Elliott. Like, there's a lot of big-name guys and a draft class that has a lot of depth overall. I, I don't know if there is a trade market for Delvin Cook, I could easily see him being cut uh, when they really need to start retaining their draft picks. And you mentioned the receivers. I've heard from only Viking fans specifically, and, and few, but enough that it's worth mentioning. K.J. Osborne, Jalen Rager, and Jalen Naylor are not good receivers. And do not tell me that that depth chart is very good and that you're just teaming with talent. Like uh, K.J. Osborne is not anything better than a four. I, I, I don't care what he does in one-off situations, the Packers secondary, like he, he he's not that good of a player. Um, and I don't think the Vikings think that either. I, I think that will be a move they try to address. Unlike what they did with Justin Jefferson, they got him at pick 22 a couple of years ago, that drafted Jerry Judy, that drafted CeeDee Lamb. I, I don't think that is available in this draft. You have no, the guys up no. top 
you have Quentin Johnston, you have Jackson Smith and Jigba, who probably goes top 10, top 15, same spot. I don't, I don't, I don't think you're getting a receiver, um, like even a starting level receiver of that quality of what the Vikings are going to need at pick 23. So that's my biggest concern is that there's a very obvious need uh, along the same vein that they have to cut people as well too, and they can't really address it. I don't know what free agents make sense in my mind to the Vikings, but I would be stunned if there isn't one in the coming weeks that we see sign with them for let's just say uh, seven or eight million per year on a prove it deal. Does that sound like DJ Chark to you? Did, but you just mentioned it. they may not have money and if they're not right. going to restructure, they're late in the game for doing this. And if they were going to do it, I, my guess is they weren't going to wait and hope that somebody fell through, you know, almost three weeks into free agency to say, oh, well, maybe somebody will be dangling there. We'll be able to get them. I don't know. And I don't know if DJ Chark, what it offers he's going to get. But if he gets an offer from any type of contender, maybe he goes that route. But it's hard to say. Um, that said, they have to create money in their salary cap for their rookie class, too. Usually you got to carve out maybe close to eight to 10 million for that. Yes, that's and, right about there. Yep. Yeah. So if you've got to carve that out, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do here. It looks like a team in transition right now. That's how I see them. 13 and four, right? Like, and, and, and number three seed or whatever it was. And yet you lose the first round. And that does feel like that is the case. I, if that, if they are in transition. So a guy like Zadarius Smith, who would count 14 million against the cap, should be cut. Delvin Cook should be cut. Like you should just be committed to building upon these things or trading them for whatever uh, middling to late pick you can get. I, I don't know. Um, Brian Flores is the defense coordinator. Real quick. Do you feel like that is going to be a better match? I mean, like you Vikings fans will say you can't do worse than who they had last year. And that probably is true. Daniel Jones looked like he was a $40 million quarterback when he played the Vikings last year. I, I just don't know if the personnel, quite, like, I think we're kind of ignoring the fact that they just don't have a lot of really good guys that are at their peak anymore. Three or four years ago, when you, when you uh, break Aaron Rodgers' shoulder, Anthony Barr, that was peak Vikings defense. None of those guys are really left anymore other than Daniel Hunter, I guess. Yeah, and when you can't cover, good luck at the NFL. And the pass rush is not to the level where they're going to overcome a bad secondary. Daniel Hunter still is very good but he's not a game wrecker like he was a few years ago. And so Darius Smith, you know, again, on and off, but they bring in Marcus Davenport, fine, solid passenger, but again, not a game wrecker, game changer. Um, and at corner, Byron Murphy's decent. He's okay. He's mm -hmm. average, but that's what he is. He's average. And if he's their best corner and he's lining up against the number one receivers of the world, DJ Moore's, you know, in that division, um, Jameson Williams, maybe, even though he's more of a Z. Uh, he's probably losing those battles more than he's winning them. Duke Shelley's like bugged at the top of the depth chart. Andrew Booth, we'll see if he works out. You know, young player, you drafted last year, I believe. And, and so I'm very concerned that they can't cover. And we saw that the Giants, the Giants knew that they couldn't. And they just let Daniel Jones attack a secondary that had no chance. Yeah. It, when you don't have a pass rush and you don't have secondary, how do you stop anybody in the year 2023? You know, I, I have a lot of faith. Like the home field advantage for the Vikings, I think is significant and one of the best in the league. Um, so I won't, I won't bet against the Vikings too often when they're in Minnesota, but it's just like the Lions, right? Like you're playing at most eight, nine games at Minnesota in a season. You are going to have a first place schedule. You're playing every division's top team because you were 13 and four. How many one score games can you win this year when, when your talent is objectively worse than it was last year? I don't know. Maybe they free up some cap by giving Justin Jefferson an extension. Um, I think he I think he is eligible for one, or if not, he's close. 
that, I mean, you can't let him leave. So you almost have to be budgeting that as well too. Uh, Maybe it's that Kirk Cousins deal if they were to actually let it go next year that you can pretty easily slot in Justin Jefferson. Maybe you could slot in a uh, New York Jets quarterback too if we were to follow the trajectory of what happens uh, when the Jets trade for a Packers QB, who knows? Uh, I, I really don't want that timeline to repeat itself, but we'll have to see. That is the NFC North. I mean, that that, that I, I had met my quota on the word incestuous, but it is. So that's just how things seem to go uh, with the NFC North. So um, interesting division. I actually think probably one of the worst divisions uh, in football, to be, to be clear. I, I don't know who wins or if it's going to matter much when it comes to the postseason. Um, some high risers, some fallers for sure, and a lot of tears for my Packers. Uh, that's what I see to come. For them. Okay, Jimmy, you have one more. I, I one that. last thing. I want. I mentioned that the defense are going to throw the kitchen sink at Justin Jefferson. Just understand, I have as my number one fantasy pick. I You're drafted not down him, him at all. Yeah. At number one. So I want you to understand that if he's going to get covered, they're going to find a way for him to win because he is that level of superstar. So I just want everybody who walked away to say, man, Jim just said that he's going to have the sink thrown at him. He's, he's going to be just fine. 1,700 yards is probably his floor. Probably his floor, yeah. Jefferson is absolutely insane. I mean, we still have the NFC West and the NFC East to discuss as well, too. We're going to have the same conversation for Cooper Cup and the Rams when we get there because it's the same level of thing. I I agree with you. I'm not down on Justin Jefferson at all. Uh, He was near one, two, or three for me last year. I'm not changing my thought process at all. If anything, discussing the defense deficiency the Vikings might have, that aids Justin Jefferson to some extent too. Now, I'm not buying KJ Osborne, Viking fans. You can't sell me that stock, but I'm so totally fine going in on Justin Jefferson uh, as well too. So that does it for us on the Wednesday edition of the World of NFL podcast brought to you by Underdog. Again, uh, I guess, spoiler, we have either the NFC East or the NFC West. <laughs> One of those might be more boring than the other. We'll have to decide over the next couple of weeks. We are gearing up for NFL draft season two as well at the end of April. April. So we'll have a little bit of time in between. I'm excited to get into that. Uh, and just like that, we'll be like training camp and ready to go. I mean, we're, it feels like we're halfway through the off season podcast now. And we just started them, Jim. So I'm looking forward to diving into these more and uh, discussing some of the teams that aren't disappointments, but like my Packers. Yes. Excellent show. Excellent time. And we look forward to seeing everybody next time. Give us a like, give us a follow, and definitely go go to Underdog like Joe told you earlier in the show. Get that six-month subscription. If you already are with Underdog, rotowire.com slash pod. That's your other route to success. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening.